Um, I, I actually encourage you guys to take uh, handwritten notes because it's a good way for you to um, internalize anything that I share or also as opportunity for you to jot down your own creative notes. And you know, if you don't have a, if you don't have a, a pen and pad close by, you could just use your phone or an iPad or just take notes on your laptop, whatever. I, I do think that it's, it's very useful to type or a better way to encode things is to, to write it out because you might forget later. And so everything I share here, honestly, it's just, it's just my opinion. It's just based on my, my life experiences. Uh, there's no right or wrong. Also, I encourage you guys to feel free to type things in the chat as much as you want. Like feel free to spam the chat or, uh, or even feel free to, to interject when I'm talking. I'm, I'm very non-traditional when it comes to, to presentations. And uh, if you have a thought or a question, just feel free to send it to everybody. You don't need to, to direct message to me. And so ultimately my personal goal is I want everyone to kind of re-challenge what it means to be creative, what it means to be an artist. And hopefully at the end of this, everyone could have a better sense of what their, their creative vision is. And with these slides, I'll, I'll send it to you guys after the presentation. Uh, oh, feel free, yeah, feel free to, to share it with your friends, family, anybody, feel free to post it to your website. Um, it's open source. And one of the big, the things I personally believe in is this notion of open source in which like rather than just kind of hoarding things and kind of keeping it to ourselves, the more we we could share it with everybody, um, the better. Yeah. So so Pearl will have, will have access to all this uh, after the fact. Um, so let the show begin. Right. So uh, to start off, uh, I just want to share a little bit about my my personal creative journey. Um, my name is uh, Eric Kim. Uh, I was born in 1988. I'm uh, 30. Oh, I just turned 34 years old. My birthday was on the 31st. So happy birthday, Eric. And one of the, <laughs> even though this is a, <laughs> I feel like you're not even allowed to say this anymore, but one of my creative heroes is uh, Kanye West. And he had a nice quote where he said that, Every year that I get older, I actually want to become younger. So when I die, I want to be zero years old. And he says, every time I'm being creative, I just try to tap into my inner two-year-old before I was trapped by dogma and I could see how I could be creative. And actually photography only introduced to me when I was like 18 years old, when I graduated high school. But before that, when I was a kid, I really loved to draw. I was very into, um, I like to trace things. I like robots. I like airplanes. Uh, and actually, I didn't know this, but when I was in elementary school, one of my, my school teachers saw that I was really into art. And I was actually hand selected to be part of some sort of a kind of like quasi public, private, I, I guess a charter school for, for art kids. And this is when we were living in New York. But um, unfortunately, my family, uh, they had a business and it actually, uh, had some bad debts so we actually had to go bankrupt so we actually moved back to California and I actually didn't find out about this until I was like maybe 30 years old I'm like wait mom you mean that had we had never gone bankrupt I could have gone to art school and been this like famous artist or whatever and so but at the same time I don't regret it because 
my personal creative journey, I, in some ways, I'm actually quite glad I did not go to art school because one of the downsides of art school, um, Dylan might know this too, is there's too much dogma associated to art. And I liked it that I was able to start quote, quote, carte blanche, which means blank slate or a blank piece of paper. And I was able to, to challenge all the, the BS and to, to uh, discover it on my own. So for example, um, have you guys ever heard when you go to a, an exhibit or something like that, people, people, um, people love to name drop, right? It's like, oh, you know, this reminds me of the Jackson Pollock or this reminds me of the, the you know, uh, Henri Cartier-Bresson picture or this kind of reminds me of so-and-so artist, right? And, as a, and as, a, as a young photographer, I'm like 21 years old and I'm just kind of doing my thing. I had no idea who these people were, but that would just kind of nod my head. I'm like, yeah, 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 I know, I know who that guy is. And I had no idea and I'd go home and Google them, right? And so if you guys have ever seen my Learn from the Masters of Photography um, blog series, honestly, it was just a way for me to self-educate myself. And my big takeaway out of studying all these like, I don't know, 50 plus Masters of Photography is that once you learn from the Masters, you must kill your master, which means there's, there's actually the saying in like uh, Buddhism Zen is that if you, see in the, if you see the Buddha on the world, you must kill him. And the, the general concept is having a master in any domain is good up to a certain point. But once you reach a certain point, you must cut the umbilical cord and metaphorically kill who your master was. So you must, um, you know, J, uh, uh, J, JP, you, you know, you have a bunch of uh, grad students and stuff like that, right? So even as a graduate student, eventually you had to become a professor and at a certain point, you kind of need to disconnect yourself from just being a graduate student and you, you, you must become your own professor. And so in photography, art and everything in between, I like the idea that you could state your own creative opinion without having to name drop somebody or, you know, like this is also another problem I see with uh, scholars or academics or intelligent people they always feel like they need to quote another famous intellectual before they state their own opinion. It's like, oh, this reminds me of, um, you know, Foucault's notion of the panopticon. I'm like, no, but what, what's your opinion? And then they say, well, you know, Hegel wants it. I'm like, no, 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 what's your opinion? And as adults, we don't have an opinion anymore. And to, to have an opinion, it just means to, to think. And so I've actually discovered the best type of uh, creative to be is to just be like your, your two-year-old self before that you're trapped by uh, all this dogma. So when I was doing some research for this, um, I was thinking, you know, the, what, is it, what does it mean to have a vision, right? Because, you know, one of, also one of my creative heroes is uh, Steve Jobs. And after he died and people talk about him, they say, oh, you know, Steve Jobs was such a visionary. You know, we need a vision. Like you work at a corporation, we need a, a corporate vision or, you know, stuff like that. So people are always asking about your vision. And I thought about breaking it down more literally where I opened up wiktionary.org. I'm like, what does the word vision actually mean? And 
vision essentially is actually related to the Latin word uh, video, which is funny because nowadays we think about video, we think about moving images. But video, it actually just means to, to, to see. And if you go way back to the Proto-Indo-European, which is like the OG original gangster language, um, to know is to see and to see is to know. I find this a very fascinating concept because um, <laughs> have, you, have, you, uh, have you guys ever heard that quote from the, the one judge who's like about pornography? It's like, I know it when I see it. <laughs> so a lot of knowledge and art and everything, until you've seen it in real life, you don't really understand what it is. Like, for example, um, one of the funnest things I actually did when I was in Dubai in the Middle East was uh, I rode a camel. And <laughs> I don't know if any of you guys ever rode a camel before, but they are huge, like really, like they feel like it's like three stories high. And so I, I went on top of it. I was actually kind of scared because I didn't realize a real life camel was so huge. And even uh, baby Seneca, I read him bedtime stories, right? And he sees this is a dog, you know, whatever. But until he's seen a real life dog, he is so shocked. Um, oh, that, that Pearl has an interesting point. Oh, vi vision is often touched back to get back to your early states. Huh, I, I, I kind of like that. Um, and so as photographers, okay, also this is another thing too. If, um, if I'm allowed to be a little bit uh, politically incorrect. Everyone okay with me being politically incorrect? Virtual nodding heads? Be yourself. Okay, be yourself, right? So, no judgments. <laughs> no judgments, right? So photographers have major penis envy of other types of artists. What I mean by that is photographers are very low in self-esteem compared to other artists. So for example, if you think about the, the hierarchy of art, the, the, currently the apex is like, a, you know, abstract artist, conceptual person, like kind of a Jeff Koons or kind of an Andy Warhol who, who makes a bunch of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe not. Can you can you yeah, send her a link? Sure. Okay, cool. Um, Cindy, Cindy is my AV person, which is good. Okay, so so essentially, um, wait, what, what was I saying, guys? Photographers have penis envy. Oh, penis envy. Oh, yeah. Okay, 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 nice. Penis envy. I, I love the penis envy. <laughs> yes. Okay, all right. So penis envy. Okay, so. Currently, the apex of that is like an Andy Warhol, like a, you know, a Jeff Koons, where you know you kind of create these abstract pieces of art and you make a bunch of money, right? So that's that's the apex of uh, glory. And so, photographers are in this quote quote liminal space where photography is the most popular art form creation in planet Earth. If you look at the iPhone, yet it is given quite possibly the least amount of respect in the art world. Now, my suggestion is, <laughs> and this is, this is the Eric Kim intervention where actually I see photography as 
the apex highest best form of art production because we require to be in embodied reality interacting with the, the real world on the ground with real human beings and whatever and so i see the photographer or the street photographer as kind of um part artist but also part boxer slash ballerina to to borrow a, a concept from um the photographer Joel Marvitz or even uh, Bruce Gilden because it's one thing to just be stuck in your, your studio and to paint things in your imagination, which obviously takes a lot of skill, but the courage, the personal courage it takes to be out in the real world and see things for yourself is um, to, me, to me more important, right? And um, some, uh, feel free to just jot these down as you go. So um, <laughs> I, have a, I have a friend, he's a, he's a photographer, his name is Brendan Osei, who's a, he does a lot of his photography on the iPhone. Actually, I think he won iPhone photographer of the year in 2017. Um, <laughs> he, he, he shoots everything on his iPhone, which I, I think is great. And his tip is when you're out shooting photos with your iPhone, just put yourself on airplane mode because he would have this joke where he's out taking pictures, right? And people would just call him in the middle of his photo session. And then he would say, quit calling my camera. <laughs> so airplane mode is actually quite good if you use the iPhone as your primary creative uh, tool and medium. And as a photographer, as, as a visionary, um, I'll just take it very, very basic. To be a visionary doesn't mean you have to be some sort of creative genius. To be a visionary is just somebody who sees, who, like, who enjoys to look at things, who enjoys to be looked at, and delights in things that are visual from our two, two eyes, right? From our little Oculus, right? And the more you can expose yourself to seeing embodied things in reality, the better. So I, um, I don't know if you guys have any uh, fun. Feel free to put this in the, the chat box. Uh, did anyone here have any uh, creative New Year's resolutions? Feel free to put in the chat box or say it, say it out loud. Any creative New Year's resolutions? Everyone's like feeling so guilty because they had one, but then they don't do it anymore, right? <laughs> so my creative, uh, okay, we got somebody in chat. <clears throat> oh, that's good, JP. Try to, to, to go out and shoot once a week. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> all of the hundred in your newsletter. Oh, yeah. Nice one, Catherine. Okay, so actually my, my challenge was, spend more time in post-processing, that's good. So I actually had a funny activity idea, which I call the 30,000 step a day photo challenge. And the, the reason I like this challenge is because it is something that is, hmm, how do I say this? I have not hit it yet, uh, disclaimer. The most I did was probably 25,000 steps. I just found it that it's better to have an insanely high, audacious, unrealistic goal and halfway meet it than to have a mediocre goal or no goal and just not do anything. Um, Catherine says, way too much in Miami. Oh, so, so um, oh, my favorite saying in Sweden, there is no such thing as bad, uh, bad weather, only bad clothes. So if you live in Miami, right? Just, uh, 
do do what Asian people do is uh, have the have the umbrella uh, when you're walking around, right? Because actually, Southern California is pretty hot too. And so I've actually found myself the more I go out and I walk, and the more I expose myself to outside weather, uh, the more photo opportunities actually came to me. And so as a as a goal, think to yourself, how can I, besides the iPhone or screens, whatever, right? How can I see more physical objects or terrain in my daily life? A simple thing is like going on a hike, even going to the local Walmart or Costco or taking a loop around the block or going to the downtown area. To see more things in embodied reality is good to become more of a visionary, right? And so um, another aside, so, um, I went to the doctor the other day for Sen's uh, one-year follow-up, and you know our doctor is great, right? But then our doctor is like, he's like, he's like too lazy fear. He's just kind of too like loosey goosey. He's like, oh yeah, you know, just feed your kid this and that. And I'm just like, no, just just tell me what to do. But he's like, oh yeah, you know, just uh, like. And so I, I like the idea that you actually do have some sort of creative prescriptions, and I like being a little bit more concrete. So I'm just gonna just throw out a bunch of ideas at you guys and feel free to, to take what sticks and um, disregard what doesn't stick, okay? Um, and once again, this is just my opinion, right? So um, the first idea I have is uh, be specific. So the notion of being specific is um, if you want to photograph something, don't photograph all of it find one small detail that you find beautiful and photograph that. So for example, um, I think the new iPhone has this too, or you could do this on Ricoh GR3 or two or uh, Fuji, whatever. Um, as a fun photo challenge for an entire day, only shoot everything in macro mode. So macro mode, it macro literally means to make something larger. So macro mode often has a little flower on it. Macro mode allows your camera to focus closer to something and fill the frame with that one specific detail. And so I've even found that when I'm photographing Seneca, rather than just doing a full body shot of him doing whatever cute thing he's doing, it's actually much more effective to photograph just his hand, just his foot, just his eyeball, just his lips, just his hair. And so I, I recommend you when you're out um, you know, photographing, in order to make more creative photos, get insanely close to one detail and be very specific. So another thing about knowledge or just talking to people too, when people, like a lot of people, when you're talking to them, they're very general about what they say, right? Um, but I, I actually prefer it when people are a lot more uh, specific about things. So when you're talking about photography and creativity, it's better to hone on to one specific thing than just capture the, the whole thing, right? So macro photography is your best friend, right? And I've actually found that, uh, I mean, once again, this is just me talking about my own personal frustration is, uh, okay, so upfront, I don't know about you guys, I hate living in the suburbs and actually, <laughs> Contrary to what most people say, I really don't like, okay, I like LA, I like downtown LA, but the rest of it, like Orange County and so forth, I really hate Southern California as a whole. It's, it's to me, it's like, you're in a car all day, I prefer to walk, and, 
And for me, it's actually very difficult for me to be creative in the, the suburbs. But actually, I just had this, um, this one thought, and this is where philosophy is good, is eternal return to the... So I had this idea of this, like, I get this also from the philosopher uh, Nietzsche, is, okay, thought experiment. Let us, and especially since COVID jogged this too, right? Let us say, you know, until I die at age 120, <laughs> um, I was doomed to stay stuck in the suburban house, the suburban neighborhood, and I could never drive anywhere. I can never fly anywhere. And the only places that I could go to are by foot. And so the question is, how can I make my creative existence good and not 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 go crazy right and so i just i just kind of fully lean into this notion where huh okay i'm going to stop complaining about how much i live in suburbs and just try to make the best out of it so even walking around the the neighborhood right like you see the dandelions here right like i just shoot microphones and then look at this phone like it makes it makes me happy and you know everyone knows eric kim as a, a famous street photographer and i i actually used to put this mental block on myself where Oh, if it's not street photography, I can't shoot it. And this actually very hurt me creatively. And this is actually what happens to a lot of uh, successful photographers. So for example, let us say we know Martin Parr, this British photographer as famous for shooting color photos of the flash, right? Unfortunately, unfortunately, he tomorrow he can't just go out and start shooting black and white photos because it's not part of his quote quote brand. Or let's say while Jackson Pollock was still alive, he got famous for doing his abstract uh, ink spottings, right? What if the next day he'll just say, you know, I just want to paint a photorealistic painting of somebody. He couldn't go out and do that because he's already famous for doing the other abstract stuff he's doing. So a lot of artists and creative people get stuck. And this is actually, um, <laughs> taking it back to my best friend Kanye West, uh, why I love Kanye West is that you must be, a, you must be the, the best way to be fearless as a creative person is having the courage to contradict yourself to do something that is contrary to what you said in the past or do something which is contrary to your cool, cool brand, right? And so, you know, I think about this a lot because every time I feel like people could start to categorize me as something, I kind of see it as um, a bad thing. So for example, when I was a young budding photographer, I really wanted to become a famous street photographer and then once people started introducing to me to others as, oh, this is Eric Kim, you know, international world famous street photographer, I kind of didn't like it because I'm like, wait a second, but what if I want to do things that are not street photography? So I had to creatively disconnect, right? And then at a certain point, people were like, oh, you know, Eric Kim, you know, like photographer, right? And I'm like, wait, what if I just want to use my iPad and do other visual drawings and stuff like that, stuff like that? And so Whenever people could classify you or put you in a box, consider it a bad thing. Even the artist um, David Bowie or Bowie or you know even Prince or the artist formerly known as Prince, um, uh, hailing from Minnesota, you kind of always need to go through a creative metamorphosis once people start to classify you as something. And even um, like Phil says, even our best friend Cardi Brisson gave up photography and went back to drawing. And uh, funny aside about Henri Cartier-Bresson, how he was trapped by his own uh, success. So 
when everyone thinks about Henri Cartier-Bresson, what was his most uh, famous photograph? Probably the- The, the, the guy jumping over the- puddle. Okay, so question. Do you think he liked that picture? Maybe originally? <laughs> actually, yeah, so originally I'm probably sure he loved it, right? Yeah. But actually but at a certain point, he hated that photo. Do you guys know sure. why? Why do, why do, why do you think? Because... Maybe it, because it was connected to his work or his person and yeah. everybody just saw this jumping puddle picture instead of like the artist and his whole body of work. Yeah, so like uh, what Tommy and Pearl sing, right? Like, uh, you know, it's it's by far his most uh, selling photo. So he made a bunch of money off it, right? But then he's like, damn it, like all these people always obsessed about my puddle photo. I have all these other great photos which are way better, but nobody talks about it. So once again, um, <laughs> no no successful artist is, a, is ever happy, right? <laughs> um, and I do think that also there's a lot of biases we have to to disconnect ourselves with. So one bias is a lot of us, we're still stuck in this snobby Parisian notion of publishing in a gallery, being exhibited, putting out a photo book, blah, blah, right? So I say, what if you could never publish a hardcover book or publish a book physically? Why not just do it digitally? I actually think that PDF is the future. So I'm personally a big fan of publishing PDF eBooks or photo books. PDF, whatever, because PDFs are easily storable. They're uh, very flexible. They're open. You could send it to your iPhone, your iPad, your laptop. And I'm also starting to think that in terms of photography and art and creativity and whatever, you don't need to make money off of it. If anything, I think like it's not bad to make money off your art, but also if you never make money off your art, that's totally fine too. People in modern society think that it is only legitimate to do what you do if you make money from it. So for example, whenever I tell people that I do, uh, like for example, um, <laughs> I, have a, I have a funny joke. Next time, next time somebody asks you, what do you do? I mean, this is another thing I learned about life. Never give people a straight answer, right? So if somebody <laughs> asks, okay, so someone's like, hey, you know, um, Carol, what do you, what do you, what do you do for a living, right? Don't be like, I'm an accountant or I'm a consultant or I'm a doctor, right? Say, I'm a visual artist. And then people are like, wait, what? But, and then, and then the question always in the back of your head, nobody wants to admit is, do they make money off of it, <laughs> right? And then the second question they think is, how much money do they make from it? And then the third question is, are they famous? And the fourth question is, how famous are they, right? So. Um, uh, or, or you could also do something funny. Next time you go to a fun, fancy party, just tell people you're an Uber driver and see, see their reaction to you, right? So um, have, have fun just kind of playing with people and publishing. Um, I have another friend, his name is Jerome Helmy from, um, he's actually from, uh, from uh, Northern, Northern Europe. And his, his best introduction is, is, hello, my name is Jeroen, I'm a photographer. And I have a side gig in uh, mergers and acquisitions. <laughs> so don't let your, 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 your job actually um, uh, define you, okay? So um, another, 
notion that I like is, uh, this kind of related to the point, there's two ways to say this. Either God is in the detail or a devil is in the detail. So um, ah, I don't like to admit it, but I'm actually a very snobby person. <laughs> I, I like to think that I'm like this like egalitarian, like, you know, open-minded person. But it, when it comes to very specific things, I'm very snobby. So for example, um, I, I'm super discerning about small details. So do you guys want to know why I don't like a lot of the new Tesla cars? Very specific. Um, I don't know if, if any of you guys are into cars or whatever. A lot of modern day cars, they put this ugly black plastic trim around the edges of the car, which is supposed to give it the illusion that it's taller than it actually is, or it's bigger, or to protect it from rock and debris, whatever. But actually, for me, plastic is such an ugly thing in terms of a car. And actually, it fades quickly, too. And so for me, creatively, if you obsess about the details, the rest of it will take care of itself. So even, um, you know, uh, one of the one of the things that I've done was, um, you know, being a photographer for a long time, I'm like, oh, I always want the perfect camera strap or whatever it is. And nothing ever else satisfied me. And so I've discovered the best thing to do was to just make it yourself. And so whenever I'm creating or designing a product, first of all, I just I just use it like myself, like uh, I have the Ricoh GR3 with the Air Cam wrist strap Mark II. Like the smallest details I create, I want to make sure it's beautiful. And because if you beautify the small details, the rest of it will take care of it yourself. And so even when you're painting, my sister, she actually went to art school, right? She would spend hours just you know, on the edges and the dots. And it seems like a waste of time, but actually it isn't because the best is if, let's say you have a, a painting, right? Or even a photograph. People look at it from far away and it impresses them. And then when they get very close, they see small details, which are even more beautiful. Even the, you know that one, um, the painting, the Venus, um, you know, she's on the clamshell. You guys know that painting, right? I actually saw the real painting when I was in Italy and I got really close and I'm like, yo, Venus has really clipped, nice clipped toenails. <laughs> like the, the attention the painter put to her toenails was so fascinating to me. And I, I started thinking, I'm like, wait, back then, did they actually have toenail clippers? <laughs> it was kind of a funny thought. Um, so if you think in terms of art, right? Yeah, um, our best friend, uh, Botticelli, right? So like, like think about the, the small details, even when you're trying to be a fashionable person, I find that the people who are the best fashionistas, they have the one accent mark where I call it the cherry on top, which completes the outfit. So like a pinky ring or like a velvet belt or whatever it may be, right? Um, another concept creatively I've uh, discovered, and this is why I've been photographing Seneca, like, you know, it's kind of like dog photography. They're kind of running around and it's, it's impossible to get a straight photo. I used to be so into like, oh, it must be sharp in focus and not blurry, right? But I'm starting to think, huh, maybe it's more important that artistically and creatively we capture the moment rather than getting super sharp focus and getting it um, clear or whatever. And so even something I do recommend you could even try experimenting with is um, Either what you could do is um, two, two ways you could do this photography wise. You could set your camera to manual focus mode and pre-focus it to like 0.7 meters or whatever. 
and you could just make all the photos intentionally at that distance. And if it's out of focus, it actually becomes intentionally artistic or just shoot autofocus. And the second you see something like, be like, a, be like a wild, wild west gunslinger, just immediately take out your camera and take a photo of it. And it doesn't matter if it's in focus or out of focus or blurry or not. Capturing the moment is a, is a, is a, is a thousand times more important than getting in focus. And this is actually the hidden benefit I've discovered. Ironically, sometimes when I photograph something that's out of focus or blurry or whatever, it actually ends up looking more artistic. And so precision in art is not that important. And also allow randomness and chance to kind of enter the picture. And I think it's, um, was it was it Carol who lives by the, the, the seashore and you know things are all chaotic and wild and stuff like that. And like allowing more chaos and randomness to come into your artistic vision, um, the better, right? So, and, I, and then I started thinking, okay, like as artists, like we're trying to capture a certain moment, right? In photography or otherwise, what does that moment actually mean? So even Henri Cartier-Bresson has this notion of the decisive moment, which is like, okay, it's a kind of like the Kodak moment or like the picture perfect moment, right? But what does that actually mean? So I, I, I went on wiktionary.org and I, I, was, I was digging around and moment, actually means momentum to set into mo motion, uh, movement and excite. And even the notion of uh, motivation, it actually just means to literally move. Oh, Mark has said in-camera multiple exposure is a wonderful way to add random. Yeah, so the more randomness you can add to your life. And the, the irony is actually in modern day life. Modernity wants us to remove randomness from our life. But like we all want to have a perfect Google calendar schedule where we check off everything our, off our boxes. But the reason why people love casinos and traveling so much is because actually in actuality, we, we like randomness. Even um, a funny thought. So when I'm doing peekaboo with baby Seneca, there's a certain cadence to peekaboo, right? Like wait three seconds, peekaboo, hide, three seconds, peekaboo. If you always do peekaboo at the same rhythm or cadence, Seneca gets bored very easily. So what you gotta do is you gotta like have it random. So sometimes I'll do peekaboo, I'll go peekaboo, peekaboo. And then sometimes I'll wait like 30 seconds and it's like getting agitated and then I'll go peekaboo or sometimes I'll peekaboo. Like, like, so you kind of need to switch things up. And also uh, a tip I have about um, becoming a more interesting person, the next time you go to a party or talk to people, Go off script, talk a little bit randomly and off script and be a little bit random. And actually, I think people actually uh, like it more. Um, Pearl says the art of letting go, right? And so I actually think, um, and this is a thought too, creatively speaking. Um, so I think it was, um, was it JP who said my, my, my goal was to take a photo every week? I say actually, it's not about work-life balance. It is about work-life integration. So the basic idea is don't see your professional work and your photography or creative stuff as two separate things. Figure out how you could integrate it. So even one creative idea is something I've been doing. So let's say I'm reading a book. Rather than just photographing a passage with my iPhone, I'll just use my Ricoh GR3 in macro mode and I'll photograph passages which find interesting. And so the camera almost becomes part of your brain and you don't have to get some invasive neural link chip in your brain, right? 
think about photography like breathing. You breathe without being conscious of it, but breath is life, right? Um, <laughs> oh, can I also use it, say something that's uh, inappropriate? <laughs> okay. Everyone, everyone uses the bathroom every day, several times a day. Why can't we make photos several times a day, right? So um, my, my very practical tip is use the simplest camera possible, whether it's your iPhone or the Ricoh GR3. The reason I love the GR3 so much, it literally fits into my front pocket, uh, even when I'm wearing skinny jeans. So don't be like, yo, I need to bring out my big camera and time to do the photography thing. No, it's just like, it's just part of your creative workflow that you always have, like Mark says, always have a camera with you. But it's not just always having the camera with me because like what I used to do is I used to always carry a camera bag or a camera backpack and the camera was always in my, uh, you know, backpack or bag. I would say always have the camera in your front pocket or back pocket, which once again, could be your iPhone or your Ricoh or, you know, whatever. And then the reason why I'm also like, I think, I think the Fuji is a great camera too. Um, oh, also the, the Google Pixel actually has a better camera than the iPhone. People don't like to admit it, that's true. Um, is the more friction you have in making your photos the worse. So try to reduce creative friction. Um, uh, and also I do think that creativity is, it's all about momentum, right? So this is actually what I find. If I'm not feeling inspired, I just start to warm up and rev up my creative engines by photographing random stuff. And by every each every photo I shoot, I become more inspired to take more photos as I'm shooting more photos. So when you're thinking about photography at the moment, think about adding more momentum uh, to your creative life, okay? So um, quick, quick thing, and feel free to uh, unmute yourself and just chat, right? So when people talk about Oh, creativity or to be creative. What do you what do you think people mean to say? Or how would you define creativity? Well, I think one element is to make something that isn't actually literally there. I like that. I like I like the notion of just making something, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's it's funny because, okay, do you ever have it like where a bunch of people is like, okay, we all have to be more creative, guys. It's not, that's not creative enough. Um, Carol says, uh, "Ooh, expo singing one's inner self." I like that. Um, so. I think when people say creative, they mean to say artistic, they mean to say artistic ingenuity, which has never been done before. I think that's what people mean to say when they say creative, right? But I think a better definition of creativity is a propensity to create, which means you just like to make stuff. <laughs> so Cindy says it well, she's like, I just like to make stuff. It's cool, right? And I was also looking into the word create. 
um, the word create actually means to grow, to become bigger, to nourish. And so also think to yourself, what nourishes me creatively? Uh, it could be anything, right? Um, so let me just ask you guys, feel free to put in the chat box or say out loud. What, what nourishes you guys creatively? Looks like we got a lot, a, lot, a lot of professional walkers in the house. It's, it's actually funny. People often ask me, oh, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> the most accurate thing is I say, oh, I walk for a living. <laughs> oh, no, Mark, take lots of bad falls and then think about what the bad. No. Okay. Another thing I'm going to say, too. Okay, the word bad actually comes from the word evil. So think to yourself, is there such thing as a evil photo? I don't think so. I see the light, cool. <laughs> no evil photos, right? Okay, so um, I would actually say, okay, a lot of you, you guys said, okay, walking and movies and stuff like that, right? So I would say, if you want to grow creatively, quite literally, you need to nourish yourself. So for example, if you're a bodybuilder, right? let's say you weigh 150 pounds, you want to become 200 pounds, you need to add 50 pounds of nourishment to become 200 pounds, right? So creatively, if you see yourself as um, a middleweight and you want to become a heavyweight creative person, you need to consume that of which nourishes you creatively. And also, I, I like to think that creatively, you are what you eat. So you must consume the best artworks which best nourish you rather than artistic junk food. The reason why I'm actually very anti-Instagram, Facebook, and social media is I actually see social media as junk food. So have you ever thought that the reason why they call it news feed, you know cattle that they're about to uh, kill? Do you know what they feed them? They give the, the, the cattle feed. So if you think about us human beings, they're just feeding us with feed, just like nonsensical things, which just kind of cloud your mind. So I would say, be very discerning about what you feed. I always actually make the funny joke <laughs> to throw things off, right? I actually asked the doctor, I'm like, you know, asking a bunch of real questions. And I said, so at what age can I give him Coca-Cola? Right? <laughs> Have you ever asked a parent that? At what age can you start giving a kid Coca-Cola? <laughs> What, what do you think his answer was? Never? Never. Yes, never. But, never. Okay. But, 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 but don't they say everything in moderation? <laughs> oh, say never to Coca-Cola. Not Coca-Cola. Not Coca-Cola. Oh. My mother was so strict that uh, I oh. usually <laughs> drank a, a gallon every time I found it later. <laughs> yeah. So, um, okay, <laughs> it's, it's actually funny because people say, oh, everything in moderation, right? I'm like, would you give your kid heroin in moderation? I'm like, eh, no, but we're, we're getting a little bit more um, philosophical, political here. Okay, so um, 
to to quote hmm. well that's good um they said it's going create a term you know my camera squad and take pictures with digital you know yeah actually um it's a actually a good way to allow more randomness is turn off your viewfinder or close the lcd screen because like um Funny enough, actually, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't uh, written about this yet, but there's actually a way that you could keep on the Ricoh GR3 or two and actually turn off the, the viewfinder because some yeah. people actually use the external viewfinder. So actually a good way to um, allow yourself to make bad photos or creative photos again, is just turn off the viewfinder or just allow yourself to shoot randomly without looking through the, the viewfinder. I mean, it's, it, they call it shooting from the hip, which is essentially, a lot of street photographers, they're afraid of photographing strangers. So they'll pretend like they're not shooting photos. They'll sneakily shoot photos from their hip. I'm, I, I personally don't like that because that ends up being a creative crutch because you become more people shy. But if you shoot from the hip or you shoot randomly, not because you're afraid of people, but because you want to allow more randomness, it's, it's actually a good one, okay? So um, a thought too is, okay, so, Imagine you had a kid and you're raising a kid, right? And your kid loves photography or art, right? Just think to yourself, how would I teach my own kid photography and creativity? And then that philosophy you have in your mind, apply it to yourself. Treat yourself like your own baby self, if that makes sense. So, um, so let's say one day baby Seneca wants to draw, right? I'm not gonna be like, yo, you gotta draw inside the lines, you're doing it wrong. I would never tell my son that, right? Yet somewhere along the line, kids become corrupted by K through 12 education and uh, traditional forms of art. Um, actually, the funny thing is they did a study where kids, whenever they start drawing, it's always abstract, colorful, fun, and playful. But when they go through this awkward seven to nine years old phase, they try to become more photorealistic. And then once they're in their 20s, they learn how to paint and draw very realistically. But by the time that they're in their 80s and 90s, they go back to the primal state, which is the abstract stuff. So even if you look at Matisse, right? The, that, the guy actually knew how to paint, right? Uh, even Pollock, right? Even, um, was it Mondrian, Piat Mondrian? All these guys knew how to paint like photorealistic, but towards the end of their lives, they all went back to the abstract, like how they created artwork when they were kids. Very interesting, right? And so my thought is the best way to study artists is look at the end of their life and work your way backwards. Because typically when you're like, you know, in, let's say you're an artist and you're like 90 years old, right? The artwork you create before you're about to die is probably the most pure distilled vision of what you truly believe in creativity and artwork. And therefore, by studying the artworks of um, people in their later stages is actually very good. And even studying the philosophies and thoughts of people toward their advanced years is good because they know that there's no more time to muck around and they'll do what they really um, care for. Because <laughs> there's hope we said to hope springs eternal, right? And even Andre Cortez, right? One photographer I like, his photographing is, 92 years old, right? And he's still like, um, 
what's the best photo you have shot? And he's like, I haven't shot it yet. And I'm like, that's so cliche, but so beautiful. <laughs> um, yeah, so once again, uh, put yourself into the shoes of your own two-year-old self and, um, and to quote Kanye West, right? A genius is just a kid with good parents. I, 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 uh, I kind of like that thought. So I talked about creative reformatting. Um, there's other kind of more, means paper. So the French have a notion of carte blanche, which means like a blank piece of paper or tabula rasa. Tabula means like tablet. Rasa means, I guess, queen. So um, a very practical thing is whenever it's a brand new year, I actually create a brand new folder. So um, can everyone see my, my screen? All right, cool. So I just, I just reformatted uh, my laptop the other day, right? So storage is pretty clean, just reformatted, right? And what I actually do in my, um, my Dropbox is every time it's a new year, I just create a brand new folder and populate it with all of my new photos, right? And so, um, so for example, back in uh, 2021, I shot all these photos of all this stuff, right? Lots of lots of photos and stuff like that, right? And then every year, I just create a new folder for all of my photos. And for me, there is nothing more beautiful than a brand new folder, because when you create a brand new folder for a brand new year, it's like, it allows for new possibilities and new openings and stuff like that. And it also gives you a chance for you to just kind of reformat yourself and let yourself kind of become, become you again. Um, and so I would really encourage all you guys to, when it comes to creative reformatting, um, to think about what can I delete and get rid of in order to start new again. So another thought too is every day uninstall one app from your laptop or phone. Uh, this is actually something that I do quite religiously. Um, every day I try to uninstall at least one app from my iPhone. And surprisingly, it's gone to a point where I literally have just like three apps. And if I find that I really need it again, I reinstall it. And then when I don't need it, I actually delete it too. And it's, it's my personal way to purge my, my creative mental space. So think to yourself, if it doesn't help me create, uh, uh, I don't need it. All right. So uh, feel free to say this out loud, uh, unmute yourself. So Besides photography, what are some passions y'all have? Travel.
Tommy, what do you mean by moving? That's pretty good. So actually everything that is um, connected to movement that could be sports, running, um, yoga, for example. So I exist because I move. Ah. And movement is integrated in my everyday life. So, yeah. ah. um, so uh, oh, I'm going to put a JP on the spot. So do you see any crossover between photography and linguistics or linguistics and art or creative things? Well, I didn't think about it before you, you mentioned it to me over email, but um, yeah, in a sense that, that, that at least I study how we put meanings of sentences together. So, you know, I can analyze photos the same way, putting parts of uh, visual parts together. Oh, well, actually, um, for example, composition in photography, right. it literally means how do you put your photos together? Like you right. take the visual world. Well, so actually uh, random question, JP, how, how do we put sentences together? I, I, I think we'll be here for a long time um, if we do that. <laughs> well, well what, what, what's, what's your what's your pivy one sentence answer to that? Oh, there is not one way because actually I look at different languages and how they might be doing things a little bit differently. Um, so I've been working a lot on Native American languages with a colleague who, who is a specialist and they do things quite differently. Huh. Um, but isn't there just one right answer? Uh, I'm a scientist. There is never one right answer. <laughs> Wait, I thought science is all about one right thing. Oh, that's what we say, but <laughs> but no, I mean, and I mean, it's, so there are, there are ways of putting things together, which is kind of similar across languages, but there are really a lot of differences across languages. So when we think about photography, art, and creativity, is there one right way to do it or one ultimate way to do it? I hope not. <laughs> if that was the case, how would it, how would, what, what would happen? Sorry, I couldn't hear. If there was only one right way to do it, what would happen to the world? It would be boring. <laughs> it would be boring? That's why I became a linguist rather than a philosopher. I wanted to be able to discover new things um, every day when I go to work. So, oh, that, that that's that's pretty good. Um, well, let me let me ask you guys also another question. How are some other ways you guys think you could be creative on a daily basis with your iPhones or Pixels or whatever we have? Everyone, feel free to 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 talk. I I have a project where I'm using the iPhone Pano, and I'm trying to break the rules and move it around as much as possible without it stopping to, uh, it's, you know, stopping the Pano. Hmm. Also breaking the rules. Yes. 
what else, what are some other ways that people could be creative with iPhone photography? Garage band. Garage, oh, how do you, how do you use garage band? I don't know. I have a nine-year-old, and sometimes he loves to play the electric guitar. Oh, sometimes... I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm an old mom. <laughs> and, no, you're a cool uh, you mom. Can, uh, no, he plays. No, and you can uh, choose whatever instrument you want and uh, just uh, play around. From the drums, really, there's everything. Oh. You can play along, or sometimes we play with that. Oh. It's, Pretty amazing what, what uh, that can do. Okay, so also one thing I like a notion about uh, language is photography and visual arts is also another form of uh, visual language. So there tends to be a bias that like, oh, you know, with language, there are certain like correct ways to do it and incorrect ways to do it. So like, for example, my mom is, she's, um, <laughs> it's crazy. So my mom's from South Korea, she immigrated to America and she moved back to South Korea. But when she's talking to people, she's actually trying to think about teaching English to like kids and locals. My mom was like 67 and she's like, whoa, I've actually lived in America as long as I lived in Korea now, 33 years in both. And she's watching all these videos on how to quickly um, pronounce things. And I actually find that when people focus too much on proper grammar and pronunciation is actually very bad for communication skills and just general gist, right? Because even if you're living in America, nobody talks like the what they say in a textbook, right? For example, my mom told me, Sangjina, do you know that the word, how do you say the word pizza? And I'm like, pizza. It's like, no, 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 no. I went on YouTube and this Korean guy said, no, no, you don't pronounce it pizza. It's pizza. And I said, nobody talks like that in America. And so I would actually recommend all of you guys to, if you think about photography and creativity as a visual language, that like what Pearl says, you don't, you don't want some sort of like uh, creative fascism. Well, can, can I just mention something, Eric, when you said that? Um, yeah. It's sort of interesting because I think it's the difference between communication and language. You know, one's very like formal where both my both my children are deaf and so it's really interesting because there are people like him when he's gone to like a camp experience or something like that we try to get him an interpreter right mm, yeah um sometimes the if the it's about um it's not so much like sometimes the interpreter or the person that maybe knows his quote-unquote language and the syntax and semantics of asl aren't as good as a communicator, then someone's just really relaxed being with him. And that's, that's the real communication. I mean, and granted, he's not a, he, I mean, he has another disability, so it's not like he's into um, like a long, deep conversation or whatever, but it's the comfort of somebody, um, it's about empathy. It's about that mm -hmm. social thing, like I'm just comfortable being with you. And I think when I'm in the groove with a camera and I'm just comfortable with it and I'm that losing that sense of how, you know, like getting the camera out of the way or getting that lane, you know, the, the semantics and the syntax also out of the way and just communicating. What, what, is, what is, what is, uh, how do you define empathy? How do I define what? Empathy. Empathy? 
I think it's more about um, connection than just your point of view. I think it's a, it's a, it's not, I think sympathy comes from your point of view. Empathy is, is a broader point of view, obviously mm -hmm. trying to, be, you know, include somebody, the person's point of view or whatever, but, but it, it, it's just always been fascinating. It's like, no, no, we'll take that person who doesn't know any sign language because he's just a better communicator. Ah, that's, so I that's, think, huh. yeah. Yeah, I, 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 re I really like that because um, I was actually thinking the other day, um, so some of, us, some of us like to watch movies, right? And I, I was actually thinking, what makes a really good film and what does that actually mean? And actually the, the answer I have right, right now is a good movie is actually something that allows you to sympathize with the characters. Or empathize, yeah. Uh, so for example, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Are you gonna say something? Oh, no, 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 uh, go ahead. No. Oh yeah, so for example, um, I have a friend who's really into Batman, right? And I'm like psychoanalyzing her, I'm like, wait, do you like Batman because you also feel dark tormented, but virtuous? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> and so I realized um, that's actually why we like to watch movies where the characters are flawed because we ourselves are quote, quote, flawed or have some sort of, you know, family drama in some sort of uh, way. And so I almost wonder if creatively to build creative empathy is actually to share our experiences, our perspective in a very genuine way. Also the word genuine is interesting because genuine, like nobody could tell you that you're being ingenuine because they don't know you or you, you are not, they are not you, right? And so to be genuine, it is something that you actually have 100% control over. Genuine is literally means genus like from the family or from you. To be genuine is the best way to read empathy. So for example, uh, I don't know if you guys know, but I'm probably the most hated photographer on the internet. <laughs> uh, if you look at my YouTube comments. Um, but I just try to be genuine and honest and I just share what I believe in. Um, and I think that's actually the best way for uh, others to build uh, empathy with you. And so, yeah, I'll just think about the, when it comes to the art of cross-pollination, take everything you're interested in because kind of mash it uh, together. So um, another big tip I have when it comes to creativity is um, I like this notion of uh, flying solo. So this is also something that's kind of controversial that people don't agree with is I'm actually kind of anti-collectives, anti, it's not so bad. I'm anti-creative <laughs> communities, um, anti-Brooklyn, um, <laughs> uh, anti-Bay Area, Silicon Alley, uh, anti-movements. So, um, probably the best thing I've ever done for my creativity that, I mean, unfortunately not a lot of people have the opportunity, but it, it worked for me, was I lived, I actually, after me and Cindy got married in 2016, we essentially just got rid of all of our stuff and we lived uh, abroad nomadically for like three years. So we spent about from 2016 to 2017, 2018, uh, we lived in Vietnam for a year. And some radical things I did was 
uh, I got rid of my phone. So I didn't have a phone for about two years. Um, I didn't check my email for two years. I didn't use email for two years. Uh, I didn't contact friends or family for about two years. And I just kind of went to this like creative isolation Zen monk zone. And it was probably the best thing that I've ever done for myself because I was able to rechallenge everything myself. And also feel like I didn't have to be tied to a place in order to be creative. Um, I think the reason why, mm, okay, I don't know if you guys ever had this feeling, but I've had this feeling in the past where I'm like, oh, you know, I could only become more innovative if I move to San Francisco, or, you know, if I want to become more fashionable or artistic, I have to move to New York or Brooklyn, or you always feel like you got to go somewhere else to do that thing. But maybe it's better to think, wow, okay, what if for the rest of your life, you can never be part of a collective, you can never be part of um, a group, uh, a community, and you are just kind of stuck with yourself, then what? And to me, that was such a, a liberating thought because, I mean, granted, no man wants to live on an island by themselves, but too much of thinking about collaboration, it's also so bad, anti-collaboration. I'm actually kind of anti-collaboration. Collaboration is a way for artists who want to do something but aren't motivated to do it is expect other thing, other people to do that thing. And hopefully they can motivate you to do the thing. Um, but a lot of things like collaboration and stuff like that, like you're always kind of waiting on somebody else to do it. And I think that's just adding another component or another piece uh, point of friction to something like, have you ever um, had it where you need a colleague to do something for you? And rather than emailing them to do it for you, you're like, maybe it's just easier I do it myself. Um, so I often found that for myself, at least um, personally, based on the 10 years of experience I've had in photography and so forth is um, whenever I try to collaborate with others to do a creative project, it always ends up being more stressful, more time in, uh, consuming, more resource thing. And then like, like not really fun either because it's like 90% management and people coordination than actually just doing the thing. So the reason why I really like um, the notion of blogging is that if you make a blog, right, you could just, the, the simplest way is just make a blog on wordpress.com, it's, it's open and free, right? Is once you blog something, you put it into the world and there is literally almost zero creative uh, friction. And you know, kind of to Carol's point, right, is that if you have to work in a committee, you, you're not really allowed to 100% follow your gut because there's always going to be somebody to you know, prevent you otherwise, right? And, you know, the, the great thing with a blog, and I encourage actually, if you guys don't have a blog, everyone, um, this one creative assignment I'll make everyone for after this workshop is uh, everyone just make a blog, just, just make a free one on wordpress.com and you could, you, could, you could pay for it later if you want to. If you don't want to, you don't have to. And I find that if you don't publish it, it doesn't exist. You know, the, the saying like, if a tree falls in a forest and no one's there to witness it, is the tree fall? <laughs> it's just funny because I have a friend, his name is Don. He has like this really cool Porsche 911 um, GT3. And we're just driving around downtown light. It's like bright yellow, super cool car. It's like very loud. And I was like thinking, if you have a cool car, but nobody witnesses you driving the cool car, is it still a cool car? And do you know what my answer was? I don't think so. Like if, like if I'm the guy in Miami driving around with a Lamborghini with a top down, but no one's there to witness me in the Lamborghini, it kind of doesn't 
have a personal significance to me. And so I've actually found that even with art and photos and blogs and stuff like that, I would actually say people are a little bit too restrictive in terms of what they publish. I actually say the more you publish, um, the better. Like, uh, for example, over the last 10 years, I published over 15,000 blog posts and I still feel like I'm still learning, which is actually quite a happy thought. Um, even Henri Cartier-Bresson had a quote like, your first 100,000 photos are your worst. My thought is your first billion photos are your worst. <laughs> so <laughs> like, especially since we have digital and we have iPhones now, right? So just think to yourself that every time you want to share something, an idea, a thought, just, just blog about it. And the more you do it, the more you kind of uh, enjoy yourself, okay? So to Mark's point, so, okay, so Mark said, he shoots a lot of photos, but he thinks they're all bad photos. And he's trying to figure out how to like, not as many bad photos. Like, what do, what, do you, what do you mean by that, Mark? No, I, I mean that when I'm creatively stuck, rather than is just like, go out, take photos. We can call them mediocre if you don't, or boring. Okay. And, you know, kind of let go of doing something specific and really good, taking back the photos and spending time looking at them and thinking about them and like, how could, how could I turn this into an interesting photo? Mm. And there, there's an awful lot of photographers who just go out and take photos of mundane things and they're yeah. just fantastic photos. Mm. Like I, I follow uh, one photographer who just like takes photos of dead animals on the street in London. Mm and washing machines in London. And it's just great. How about dead animals inside washing machines? <laughs> that, might, that, 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 that actually might make it to the MoMA, to the Museum of Modern <laughs> Art. Okay, so, okay, this is also another thought I have for us creators, uh, people. And also for the, for the um, I did like the idea that Rather than calling yourself just a photographer, it's better to call yourself a visual artist. Um, the reason why is that um, <laughs> on one hand, it's a little bit abstract. So people like, nobody wants to sound stupid. So they're like, oh, what do you, what do you like, what are you, what do you do? He's like, I'm a visual artist. And they'll, they'll nod their heads because they don't want to look stupid, right? But nobody actually knows what it is. Because if you say I'm a photographer, the first question they ask is like, oh, like, do you do wedding photography or do you, do you make photos? Like I said, it's just not worth the conversation, right? So to me, all art is good art. Anything you create is good. I mean, this is like the radical form, but I think all art is good. Um, and everyone is so afraid of making some, okay, I'll, this, is, this is, am I allowed to rant a little bit? Uh, you can't help yourself. Okay, okay, I'm gonna rant a little bit, okay? The worst thing about, things is when you as a creative person do something and then somebody's response is like oh but that's it's not very good or it's bad but then they're critiquing you on something they themselves don't know how to do so for example I love music and <laughs> I, I really love hip-hop and I like instrumentals and I, I would do the thing where I would make iMovie slideshows on my photos I'd find my favorite like Jay-Z song and I put it on and I kept getting these stupid like copyright infringement notes on YouTube. I'm like, God damn it, this is so annoying. What am I gonna do? I'm like, oh, maybe I should just make my own beats or instrumentals on GarageBand on my laptop so I don't get the stupid, you know, 
anti-copyright note, right? And so I started doing that and I started sharing some of my music with people and they're like, oh yeah, but that's like, it's not very good or that's just a loop. That's not, that like, that's kind of cheating. And I'm like, wait, have you even ever made music yourself? And they haven't. So a lot of people tend to be music connoisseurs. Like they listen to a lot of music, but they themselves don't know how to play an instrument. I'm like, who are you to criticize me for trying to be this like, you know, uh, naive artist, right? Same thing with, um, this is one thing, this is one uh, thing I don't like about sports, right? A lot of people like to watch sports, but have never played the sport themselves. Yet, they love to criticize and critique the players who are playing that sport. So to me, this is very disingenuous, very no skin in the game, because like, for example, in football, uh, you know, you're watching the big football game, right? People almost catch the ball, but it slips out of their hands and everyone gets so angry at them. I'm like, have you ever played football in your real life? Like you have a tiny visor, you're running so fast, you cannot see anything. You have all these big shoulder pads, you cannot catch the ball. So my personal thought is, Anybody who tries to critique or criticize something and they have never done it themselves before, they um, ignore their criticism because they speak out of ignorance rather than knowledge. So for example, um, a lot of people are very anti-street photographers. Oh, you know, ethically is so wrong that you photograph a stranger without their permission, blah, blah. I'm like, yo, but have you ever shot street photography yourself? And they're gonna be like, no, I don't because it's unethical. I'm like, okay, don't criticize or critique me until you've actually tried to do the thing because you'll find that it's not as exploitative and extractive as you think it is. So my suggestion is whenever people criticize or critique, don't think that it's good or bad or whatever. It's because there's no such thing as bad art. I mean, if we didn't know um, Jackson Pollock or any of these fancy artists, without their fame and fortune, right? And you just showed it to somebody. Nobody would think it's good, right? Like you show somebody an abstract Jean-Michel Basquiat with all this like graffiti stuff, right? Ain't nobody gonna think that's worth like a hundred million dollars. It's just the pretentious art world who tries to, you know, wash drug money and inflate the price of these art pieces, right? So, um, oh, so Carol, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna, you wanna hear some, some funny dirt about photography judges? All right, Eric, Eric Kim will continue his, um, his funny rant, right? Uh, so uh, I've been a, a judge to um, certain photo competitions. So what typically happens is um, you've become kind of semi-notable or famous for something, right? So let's say street photography. So you get a random email from somebody who's like, oh, you know, we have this photo contest, there's an exhibition, a book. Do you want to be one of the judges? And you're so flattered of the honor that you say yes without thinking anything. And then you realize you have to do this and then they don't even offer to pay you. If they offer to pay you, they may give you like 200 bucks or 50 bucks, I don't know, whatever, right? But you have to go through this tedious thing of going through like a thousand boring photos and making it to the top. And then actually the funny thing is some of these photos you actually recognize because some of them are your friends or you've actually seen them on somewhere on the social media, right? <laughs> and so you let your own subjective uh, biases elevate the person to the top, right? So for example, if I really love black and white photos, I, I, I like black and white, I might be more predisposed to prefer a black and white photo to the other and then whoever makes it to the top. And then there's the consideration that the judges have is like, 
wait, we all know this is the best picture, but it's too traditional. That's cliche. We gotta choose this other picture because it's more abstract, innovative, even though personally people don't really like it. So there's lots of these petty politics. Photography judges, they try their best, but everyone's a little bit overworked and stressed. Uh, Phil says, what's the end of pra um, practice? I think uh, practice, I've actually Google, I actually researched praxis um, to do, to create. I would say the end of practice is the joy of creation, I think. Like, so for example, I would say the end, the end game of practice or creativity or whatever is to create birth, to procreate, to give birth to new visual life, whether it be digital photos, artists, whatever. And I think if that artwork or whatever thing you create could inspire or touch at least one human being on planet Earth, which is highly likely, then you've kind of done, done your job. Um, the, yes, the, the journey, okay? So, um, okay, so some, some other thoughts. Uh, yeah, it, like if you can mode, okay, if you've made a piece of artwork and it motivates someone else to make their artwork, I think it's, it's, it's good. Um, yeah, automatically you're not needing to do it, okay. So another tip I have is tracing to learn. So. People often say, oh, tracing is cheating, right? Like, <laughs> it's like, he uses a piece of tracing paper. It's like, that's not legitimate, right? However, if you want to teach a kid the alphabet, what you do is you take their finger and you trace the letters, right? So once again, do not let pretentious adults get in the way of your learning, right? So I've actually found that for me personally, one of the best things I did when I was in Vietnam, I did this mostly around 2016, I looked at very famous artworks which I liked, but I didn't understand why I liked it. And then I used the Procreate app on iPhone, um, sorry, iPad, to trace the pictures, all the details. And that would just make the background totally black. And then through the process of tracing it, I was able to see all the small meta details and then better understand, oh, that's why Picasso did his mm -hmm cubist picture like this now i understand it right same thing like i'm like looking at like a like so i'll trace things because i don't understand it and through the process of tracing it i'm like whoa there's all these small details that i've never realized like the orange is a good contrast against the the blue or this is where the artist flattens the perspective and something like that but then people looked at it they're like wait eric you're a photographer why are you doing this random sketching? Like, it, 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 like it's so confusing and befuddling to people. But I kind of like it because you know you kind of keep people on their feet, right? And so, I would say as a fun activity, you don't have to do this on an iPad or a Procreate app, or you can just on a piece of paper, right? Next time you see something you like, just copy it onto a piece of paper or buy some tracing paper and just just trace it, right? Um, also, another good creative idea is to think that the word. Curation actually means to care. Uh, curate means cura, which means heart. So to curate is to choose, select that which you love. So even when you're curating your portfolio, your artistic set, just ask yourself, do you care for it or do you not care for it? And even Carol says, yeah, like copying other paintings is, is quite a, a good, a good uh, activity. Um, 
also nowadays, I, okay, I don't know if you guys remember this, but when you guys were growing up, was there like a notion like role models and who's your heroes? So feel free to, to say that out loud or put in the chat box is, who is your hero? Whether artistic or human or traditional, like who's your guys' heroes? Feel free to put in the chat box. I feel like it's a it's a very good idea to <laughs> it's so funny because I feel like as adults you're like nobody asks you that right it's like who's your role model who inspired like you, you learn that in like elementary middle school maybe high school but yeah so I would actually say copy your heroes as a as a form of you know understanding them and stuff like that like even uh, one of my artistic heroes was actually Picasso because. Apparently Picasso made on average one or two art pieces a day until he died, what, his 90s or whatever. So emulation is not, yeah, a day, like one to two art pieces a day, whether it be a sculpture. He actually took photos too, a painting, a picture. So if you actually go to his archive, he has a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's fire, right? Um, so people always say quality over People always say, uh, what, quality over quantity. Uh, I don't agree. I don't agree with that. I think it's one must, like, qu like quantity as a road to quality, to quote quality. Because what is quality? Quality is an artist has made 100,000 pieces in their lifetime. And then after the fact, an art historian will cherry pick the best ones, right? So. There's no such thing as like quality. And then even the, the word quality in itself, it comes from the like this notion of a quail, which is kind of like an atom. So when you think about the quality of something, you're you're more trying to say what kind of materials is it made of? That is the quality of it. It's not like it's not like high quality or low quality, because like for example, people say plastic is an inferior material. Plastic is actually really good for baby, um, baby stuff because they're always dropping it, right? So one could say even the quality of plastic is superior than stainless steel in given uh, situations. Um, yeah, and even um, um, uh, Noelia says, yeah, the lenses techniques is kind of overrated. Ooh, nothing is precious. Preciousness is uh, stifling, okay? Um, Oh, so us, uh, we, we, we also really like this idea of, um, actually, uh, Tommy, have you ever heard the notion of upcycling in uh, Germany or Berlin? Yes, actually a lot. So it, 
for example, not exactly for arts, but for used products, um, clothing, maybe furniture and stuff. All right, so yeah, Tom, make use of old stuff again and make it better, you, actually. Or ooh. yeah. So I thought, how can you apply the notion of upcycling to creativity? So I would say. If you, if you find some old art or past art or works from other artists and try to maybe put your own um, kind of um, creativity onto it and make something new out of it. Hmm. Yeah, no, I, I like that. Because um, even a lot of musicians, what they do is, have you heard of this thing called sampling? Yeah, hip hop so culture. What, 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 is, what is sampling? So actually you, you use um, a sample as a snippet or yeah, of, of an audio uh -huh. and you just reuse it um, but, and create something new out of it. But, but isn't that I, stealing? Somehow it is and somehow it's not because you create something new. But then that's cheating. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> because... If you if you listen to the to the top music or pop music today, all the EDM tracks they use all the all the music from the past twenty five years, which went out of copyrights, maybe I guess, <laughs> and well, resampled well, well, all the melodies of it. Well, well, like well Tommy, 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 that's that's not original. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm, I'm just. Um, <laughs> If you, if you guys can't notice, I'm, uh, I'm, being, uh, I'm being sarcastic. Um, mm -hmm. It's, oh, um, some, some, some more dirt. Um, the reason dirt. why, oh, going back to the movie, <laughs> going back to the, the movie Ratatouille, right? Who, 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 is the, who is the evil villain in Ratatouille? <laughs> Do you guys remember? <clears throat> Who's the guy with the, the big nose? You guys remember? Is it one of the chefs? It's actually the critic. Oh. So what do what do food critics do for a living? So what, what, do, what do food critics do for a living? What is their job? <laughs> Eat and judge food. Okay, thought. If a food critic doesn't know how to cook. I think it's, they, they want to create some kind of aesthetic in form from inform as um, how, what is the taste? If I would compare it to fashion, like designers, yeah. they try to, to build up a movement or a mm. style, which is popular. Yeah. And food critics try to, to be on the top end or be very forward or avant-garde in case mm. of 
that's the next thing in food and want to shape the industry to go maybe that way or maybe find yeah. new new space yeah definitely um the movie ratatouille the critic actually this is what happens when you discover afterwards like the food critic is so mean he's giving everyone one star reviews and then the the chefs who get one star reviews end up jumping off cliffs and stuff like that. there's actually a um uh, a story where even in real life a michelin star uh, chef said oh if I get one more negative review, I'm going to jump off a bridge. And he actually, his Michelin star rating went from three stars to two stars. He actually ended up uh, jumping off a bridge. And so um, in the movie Ratatouille, what happens is the food critic is actually, he, he comes off as such a mean, snobby guy, right? But in actuality, when he was a kid, he wanted to become a world famous chef. But, you know, his parents don't let him or he tried and he failed or whatever. So the rest of his life, in order to get some sort of revenge against reality, his, the way he feels better about himself is critiquing and putting down the cooking of other people. And so, unfortunately, this is also what I discovered. A lot of photography critics either don't make photos, which is weird, or once upon a time, they try to become a successful photographer because it's their passion, but for some reason or not, they failed or, you know, they didn't become famous or successful, whatever. And then once you make it to the top as a critic, they expand their ego by putting down the ego of other people. So it's, it's, it's really bad because I like to think that we could all thrive together. And so all these notions of snobbery, like, oh, that's cheating, that's not original. That's the way of critics using their accumulated knowledge to make themselves feel superior to you by making you look or feel stupid by your lack of knowledge. Um, the notion of creative upcycling is a good one in which everybody learns from somewhere, right? Like Seneca, I cannot put Seneca in a desert island and be like, hey, teach yourself English, right? Everyone has to learn from somebody. Everyone needs a teacher. And so creatively speaking, I, I recommend you to take that which you've learned or been inspired by and just add a little bit to it. Um, even um, Virg, there's this guy named Virgil Abloh. He's a fashion designer who, who died recently, very sad. But he said, just try to make it 3% different and that's good. So creative innovation means of course you change it, you add to it, you upcycle it, you make it better than it was before. But like, it doesn't need to be like a thousand times different, right? Like even honestly, when it comes to the iPhone, right? Each new iPhone is probably not 3% different. But if you look at the original iPhone 4 and the iPhone Pro today, the iPhone Pro is like a trillion times better, right? Or even the same thing, um, you know, once upon a time, Toyota was seen as a very unreliable Japanese car. Even Japanese stuff back in the, the early 20s in America was seen as inferior. Like nowadays, as, as Americans, we see it made in China. We think it's inferior. People used to see made in Japan as being inferior quality. But then through the, the Japanese, they call it uh, Kaizen. Okay, Dave needs to go. All right, we'll send, a, send a, uh, more stuff to you soon. See you later, Dave. Okay, so... The notion of Kaizen and creativity is every small iteration, just make it 3% better than it was in the past. 
and after like a hundred years, it's gonna be much better. And I think this is how societies progress. Like no tile grows more than 3% in a given day, right? So creatively allow yourself, I don't know, you can maybe grow 3% a day or 3% a week or 3% a month or 3% a year, but the focus still on creative growth, but growth is good when it is gradual is, is my, my thought. Okay, a few more thoughts and then we'll take a break, okay? So also my suggestion is, oh, Phil, all right, see you later. Make some photos, I'll send the email later, okay? Also, one thought is artistically and photography wise, right? I like the idea that try to make artwork that you have never seen before, but it interests you, right? So, or like Gandhi once said, create the world in which you wish to see manifested. I like to think, create the artwork which you would like to see, right? And so even when I'm making photos, sometimes I accidentally make photos that I really like, and I don't understand why I like it, and then I'll deconstruct it and I'll screenshot it. I'll put line through it. Oh, I like this photo because it has, you know, one of Cindy's eyes directly in the center. Um, another fun thought is when you screenshot something on your iPhone, your computer, your laptop, whatever, it actually ends up becoming creative too because by screenshotting something, you select that one thing or that thing and you, you signify it by screenshotting it. <laughs> so this is like my meta screenshot. This, this is a screenshot of me screenshotting something. <laughs> um, when in doubt, just take a loop around the block, leaving your iPhone at home. Also another fun creative thought I had was, um, unless, okay, if your iPhone is your primary camera or creative tool, I say use the iPhone as much as possible. But if you have a Ricoh or a Fuji or an Nikon or something else, I would actually say for, for a year, all the, all the photos you would shoot with your iPhone, just use your standalone digital camera. So for example, even with my Ricoh, I've been photographing my receipts. I've been photographing my parking spot. I've been photographing my food. Um, and I find this to be a much more uh, satisfying thing. So ultimately with your creative vision, my big suggestion is to think about what, like, to become a creative visionary is to have an idealized version of the world or your future world yourself, and then create that with, create those type, create, essentially it's like creating, like to be, to be a creative, visionary means to create your own ideal world, your art focus. So, because when you have a vision, it's, it's usually like you're kind of looking at it into the distance, it's something in the future and it's big and it's grand and it's, it's greater than the present moment. And to be, and in order to achieve the vision, you gotta create things in order to achieve the vision. So actually, the apex is the vision, is the vision. Creativity is a road or a path to achieving that creative vision. Um, so this is where I think it's so important to think about what you're interested in, why you're interested in, and what brings you joy. And honestly, at the end of the day, just focus on fun. 
typically when you're having fun, you're being pushed in challenging and novel and interesting ways. And also kids best learn when they're having fun, uh, make things a little bit more fun, unpredictable and allow randomness and chance to enter your lives, walk around more, um, just share it to your blog. And if you think about creativity as a practice, Every time you create something, consider yourself accomplished. Don't be creative tomorrow, be creative today. That's why I suggest just using your iPhone, using your, using your Rico and just keeping things, keep it insanely simple, okay?